values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, a disturbing story. I talk about education a lot, and it's it's strange for me to do that for those that knew me growing up. I was not necessarily growing up a stellar student, especially at the high school age. I wasn't a troublemaker, so to speak. I just didn't take education seriously. Didn't want to be in school. I wanted to work. I skipped to school a lot because I worked late at night, and I just wanted to grow up too fast. I don't recommend that, by the way. I look back at my life and I wish I had stayed. I wish I had stayed a kid longer, and and so I encourage young people to enjoy their time in school. But I also look at where the problems are in school that we didn't have when I was a kid. And I think a lot of us look back on fondly on our days in schools um, and not even if we didn't like them while we were there. So the, the headline from NPR said school principals say culture war made last year rough as hell. That's their words, not mine. Um, this is a high school principal in in uh, Nevada. Now, we hear from a lot of people that the reason why we have a shortage of teachers has to do with pay. Now, I would give some credibility to that. I would say that if you are good in any industry, you're going to be sought out in others. Um, and if you don't pay people a, a wage that they can make a living on, they're going some of them have to seek other employment, even if they love the job they're doing. Um, but there's more to it. Part of it is, and you've got to give credibility to all of it, part of it is some teachers don't want to teach the political things that are being taught in school. They want to teach the subject matter that they're trained for. If you're a math teacher, they want to teach math. They don't want to have to teach some of the other things that are going on. The other is a lack of discipline. Here's a story that is so disturbing to me. Uh, this is out of Gwinnett County in Georgia, and uh, it is uh, about a student who got a bad classroom evaluation, a high school student who got a bad classroom evaluation from a teacher. So he confronted the teacher about this, and the the teacher was explaining to him, I guess, they had a conversation, and some people got this on videotape, and he just attacks this teacher. He punches this teacher in the face. He knocks this guy to the ground, and he continues to punch him until other students pull him off. Well, part of the story in this story, it talks about how they have scaled back their discipline. The teacher received help from from a separate student. You can see it in the video. The teacher's wife spoke anonymously about her husband's reported beating. She said her husband sustained injuries to his head as well as a bloody mouth and feeling dizziness. She said, I don't think we should have have the the crap beat out of them when they go to work. Um, But the story also talks about how the school has lowered its standards on punishment and and behavior. Um, Gwinnett County Schools experienced a 35% increase in fights across its school from August through October compared with the same three months in 21 and 22. They had reported the school board's numbers found at the end of the first three months of the school year, there have been 638 fights. But they have they have had a significant reduction in punishment. This is where the problems lie. Discipline and there should be punishments. I've always thought that if you are not a student that is there to learn, we should cater to the students that are there to learn. No student who is actually trying to get an education should be afraid at school. Neither should the teachers. When you have kids and, you know, there are just some kids that are bad kids, they can snap out of it. Everybody is redeemable. Everybody can have a chance to change. But you don't keep people in school that are a threat, a threat to themselves, a threat to other students, a threat to the faculty or their staff. No teacher should have to be worried about getting punched in the face because they discipline a kid. There's a reason why this kid felt compelled to do this. There's a reason why this kid thought that he could get away with it. When I was in high school. 
there was a fight in the gym. We had a pep rally or something going on in the gym. And um, there were these two kids that were battling it in school, had a battle in school. And one grabbed a pair of brass knuckles, ran across the gym floor and punched this other kid. And it didn't even knock him out, which scared everybody. I mean, he took a big hit, gashed his cheek wide open, and the fight was on. Well, the kid that did the attack got expelled. Expelled. Out. You're gone. Now, he can go to alternative school. There's other ways, but you're gone. There is no, Things like that can't be tolerated. This is one of the issues when we talk about the school system. We talk about these culture wars. It is more than curriculum. It's more than the culture war of curriculum. It's the culture war of who we cater to. A well-behaved student who is in a school for an education should not have to be afraid to walk the halls of a school. And if there are intimidators and bullies and people out there that are misbehaving, we know who these kids are. We, we can pick them out. I'll, I guarantee you when I'm telling you this story, it's reminding you of the stories of the bullies when you were in high school, of the people that weren't there to learn, but they were there to fight. They were intimidators. And we all wondered why, you know, why doesn't somebody do something? We're not supposed to fight. We're not supposed to take the law into our own hands. What are we supposed to do? Run? Run between classes? And now it's even worse than it's been before. If you're going to lower, and we've seen it in, in the adult world with crime and punishment in our cities where they have the revolving door. where the, And there's a, there's a mindset of a predator. The mindset of a predator is about risk and reward. They have no concern for you. They're concerned for themselves. If they believe they can get away with it, they're going to. If they think they can get over on you, they're going to. They're going to attack you from behind. They're going to you know, rob you with a gun. They're going to carjack you. And if they know that when they commit a crime like that, that even if they get caught, that they're going to go into jail, be released on their own recognizance, and they can skip out on going to the court, they will. And that's the problem we deal with when in a law-abiding society where we look at things and say we follow the rules. And the rules dictate that here's how we handle problems. We call the police or the authorities. In this case, it would be you know, the principal, whatever. And we let them know that someone's picking on me, something's happening to me. We don't take the law into our own hands. We've been hearing that all of our lives. And the most frustrating part about all of this is here you have a situation where a teacher has to be afraid to go to school. Now, if that teacher fights back, if that teacher knocks out that student and that video camera is not there, that teacher is getting fired. It's, I mean, that kid should have gotten smacked back. It, it is absolutely Behavior that cannot be tolerated. That kid needs to be made an example of, and he needs to be thrown out of school. Let him find an alternative school. Let him get homeschooled. Let him learn his lesson that behavior like that's not tolerated. That's part of the culture war that's going on in education. Teachers need to feel safe, just like students need to feel safe. And if you're a disruptor, especially if you're violent, you're gone. In a moment... uh, Karine Jean-Pierre answers the question about Biden going to the border. You won't believe the answer. It's all coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us on the Mike Broomhead Show. Happy Thursday. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre answering questions yesterday. 
about uh, Biden and going to the border, which I, I found this to be interesting because um, the issue here is whether or not the president is going to go to the border. And it's interesting that she said he's been to the border. And uh, no, well, no, no, he hasn't. If he's been to the border, it has not been um, it has not been during the time of his presidency. So it is interesting to me to see all of this happen where um, the president of the United States hasn't gone to the border. He's coming to Arizona on Tuesday. He she will be here. Uh, I'm sure our governor is going to have a conversation with him. And then um, he's in a border state. This is where the outrage of the American public should be on both sides. If you make a commitment, you're going to do something, you should do it. Um, And it was put in the vice president's hands. The vice president was charged well over a year ago with controlling what was going on with the border. Now, there was a lot of complaints because she hadn't been to the border. Then she went to El Paso and she never went back. But then she was supposed to visit countries in Central America and she was supposed to visit Mexico. And she was supposed to have a conversation with those countries and figure out a way to stop the migration. North. It was going to be the wrong plan, but what they were going to do is give billions of dollars to some of these countries to prop up their economies so people didn't feel the need to come to America, which I think is a complete misunderstanding as to why so many people are coming to our shores. I say shores, but coming to our, our border and our country. And I think the reason is that the American dream is what people want. I have conversations. I've been blessed by being so close to a lot of immigrants to this country. Nothing has made me prouder as an American than to hear people that were not born here, that have come to this country as an immigrant, that has have given up their families back home, the time, the money, coming to a strange country because they want to live and become the American dream. The stories are absolutely incredible. I want to share a couple of them with you, but one of them is significant to me because we keep hearing about separated families at the border. I don't want to see people separated. I don't want to see bad things happen, but we separate families all the time. You know, if you if you're driving right now with your kids in the car and you've been drinking, you're going to jail. And someone is going to take your kids. Either they're going to get a hold of a family member or they're going to put them into custody of the city or the state or whatever until they find a family member. But you're going to jail for an aggravated DUI for drinking with your kids in the car. That's a separated family. You broke the law. They separated you from your family because of your stupidity. So that's one part of this. I was in Vegas. And I've told this story before, and it's lived with me ever since. I was in Vegas, and I I had flown. I didn't drive. So I was in a cab going from the hotel to the airport to fly back to Phoenix. It was about a 15, maybe a 20-minute drive. And while I got into the cab, I struck up a conversation with the driver, and he was from an African nation, and I forget which one it was. And uh, he's now a U.S. citizen, older man. And uh, he started telling me his story. We were joking around politics. I told him what I did and how acrimonious politics gets in the U.S. And he said, listen, he said, in your country, you argue. In my country, you kill your political enemies. They die for their politics. And he talked of leaving his country that he was born in. Because the country he was with did not have a visa agreement with the U.S. So he left his wife and their baby, a child. And he went to the country, a neighboring country that had a visa agreement and put in for a visa lottery and lived homeless in this other country 
for a couple of years before he hit the visa lottery and came to the U.S. Then he had to go through the process of a green card and he had to go through the process of citizenship. Took about another seven years, I believe it was. I think the total time away from his family was around 12 years. And he said that the next time he saw his child, he was 16 years old. And throughout this drive, he kept saying to me, God bless America. He had tears in his eyes. He had me crying when he was telling the story. He loves this country so much. He owns a home. When his wife got here, he said, thank God for my wife taking care of my son. They had a daughter. She was born in America. His whole family are now American citizens. And they own a home, and he makes a living as a cab driver. That's the American dream. That is the American dream summed up. You want to talk about separated from your family? He lived homeless for years before he earned a visa or was lucky enough to get a visa, I should say, to come to this country. Then he earned citizenship. Then he sent for his family. And we keep doing these things on the border that we keep seeing that are unfair to so many people. And you've got the president that's going to be here on Tuesday. And you've got Peter Ducey being the only person that is asking the question of why isn't the president going to the border? And she laughs it off and says he's been to the border. No, no, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. And he'll be in Arizona. I'm sure the governor would clear his schedule to take the president to the border. Now, it was it was uh, Representative McCarthy that offered to take the, the president to the border and the White House is declining. And this is a big issue for us as a border state, but as a country, I've said this so many times, we should be proud of our immigration system. We should have an immigration system that is fair. We should have an immigration system that is robust, that allows good people of all economic stripes. You don't have to be wealthy and college educated to get into this country. We'll take the working class. We'll take the people that want to build their future by, by the sweat of their brow. We'll take them. And we should be able to afford people that ability. But what we're doing right now is an absolute horror show when it comes to immigration. The human trafficking element, the predatory behavior of the coyotes, the enslavement of people who don't pay their bills or can't pay for their trips to to the U.S. or when they're told they owe more. And the president of the United States is coming to Arizona on Tuesday to brag about the CHIPS Act and a chip plant in the Northwest Valley. And he's so close. But he's not going to go to the border. And I think all of us, he should be called out by all of us. All media outlets should be asking that question. It shouldn't just be Fox News. This should be CNN. It should be all of them should be asking the question. You're going to be in Arizona. Why won't you just go to the border for an hour? Talk to the people down there. And it's just not happening. Coming up in a moment, um, will we ever get a resolution on Arizona's abortion laws? Well, it's in court right now. What will it be and what are the implications? We'll talk about those coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Just makes me happy. Van Halen just makes me smile. Back with David Lee Roth. Now, I like Sammy Hagar, but David Lee Roth is Van Halen. So, uh, anyway, welcome to the show. Sorry about the trip down memory lane, but I love this band. Um, are we ever going to get a resolution to Arizona's abortion law? Um, 
there is big implications here. Now, if you've listened to the show, I've talked. I don't talk about abortion a whole lot because of the emotion of the topic, and I don't want to get into an argument. I'll tell you a couple of things about myself on this. First of all, I am adamantly pro-life, um, I, unapologetically, adamantly pro-life, but. I have never used the term baby killer. I have never tried to go after and insult a woman that's had an abortion or contemplated an abortion. I imagine that the decision is a horrible one for most women to ever have to make. Um, but I would, in, I am pro-life. And I, if I believe that it's a child in the womb, it deserves the same protection inside the womb as it does outside the womb. That's just my personal belief. Um, I'm not trying to make laws about your body. I'm not – I'm trying to protect what I believe is a human life. That's my personal feeling. One of the reasons why we kept seeing changes in the abortion laws over the time since Roe v. Wade was enacted was we were seeing because – and this was the argument from my side of the aisle on this. And we're going to talk about the two laws that are competing in Arizona. One is a territorial law that goes back to 1864, with ba- which basically outlaws every abortion that there is. And then there was one that had a 15-week ban that was recently passed by the previous legislature. But it says in that law that it doesn't override existing statute, which meant – and I think it was put in there on purpose – that if we ever see the demise of Roe v. Wade, which we have, and it's sent back to the states – the new law of 15 weeks goes doesn't go away, but it's overridden by the territorial law back in 1864. Is that confusing? It is to me, but it makes sense after you study it for a while. In other words, the new law of 15 weeks does not override almost, the almost permanent ban from 1864. Here's where my problem with all of this is, where my disagreement is. I have been arguing, like many people have, when it comes to abortion, that uh, pregnancies have been are much safer for women now than they ever have been before with the medical advancements. That women's a pregnancy in general is a much safer experience. Uh, the lives of the babies can be saved. A premature baby can be saved at a much earlier age than ever before because of medical advancements, which means pregnancies become viable much earlier than in the 1970s when Roe v. Wade happened. So therefore. To keep up with the medical techno- technological changes, life in the minds of everybody um, or in, in the majority starts much earlier. M- the life of the mother is much better protected now than ever before. We've been making this argument, this medical argument for years, that as medical technologies advance, the life of the mother is much less at risk and babies are viable much earlier, which means restrictions on abortion should be much earlier in the pregnancy than they were in the past. It's been an argument. So here's where my problem is. Arizona is now going to default to a law from 1864. So people in my party that are pro-life, you've got to acknowledge that that, we are contradicting our own argument. That something should be done by the legislature. And I will say this. After what we saw in the last election cycle, the 15-week ban, I would say um, our work is cut out for us if you're pro-life. And I would say this, Choices Pregnancy Centers, um, I hope all of you know what Choices Pregnancy Centers are. Um, it's an amazing organization. Uh, it's been, I, I volunteered back when they were called Crisis Pregnancy Centers years and years and years ago. And it's an amazing place. And it it's, it's privately funded. Um, and what it does is it offers – uh, pregnancy help for young for for women and for couples um, 
They have parenting classes if it's a young couple, first child, and they're nervous about being parents. They can go through parenting classes. And as they finish a parenting class, they get to go into what is effectively a store, but it's a into an, a nursery and choose an item. If they complete all of the parenting classes, by the time they're done with the classes, they have enough items for their nursery for their new baby. They help with diapers. They help with formula. They help with parenting skills. They help with all of these things, knowing that if you know, and, and with the belief that if we are going to ask these women to carry the baby to term, that we we want to, and I'm, I'm saying we, that they want to come alongside and help that transition, that time period of becoming a mother. Um, be one that, that is as easy on them as possible in their financial circumstances or whatever it is. So I think that we as be, uh, people that are pro-life have our work cut out for us. If this 15-week ban holds, that doesn't mean we change our stance on trying to save as many lives as we can. Uh, they also offer at Choices Pregnancy Center adoption services. They will help uh, a couple or a mom um, with adoption services and, and give alternatives. What The only thing they don't do, they do pregnancy testing, STD testing. They do a lot of different things. The one thing they don't do is abortion counseling. They do not recommend or or nor do they um, refer to abortions. They do post-abortion counseling for women that have regrets. Uh, uh, they do a lot of that stuff. And I think those kind of places are what we should be pointing people toward. That if we're going to deal with, if, if it's different than what we believe, it just means our work is harder. It just means that's what we're supposed to do. But for somebody that's pro-life, and we've been, I've been had this, I've had this conversation. When I say argument, a debate with people about you know being earlier and earlier in a pregnancy, because the question about abortion has always been was life. That we no one, even the most pro-life person that I know, pro-choice person that I know, doesn't want to see a baby killed. You know, calling people baby killers. The idea, the argument we've had fundamentally is when does life begin? That's the fundamental argument because we understand that once we acknowledge that it's human life, it deserves constitutional protection in the womb or outside the womb. We know that. And so that's what we've been fighting about for decades is when does life begin? People that are pro-life people, many of them believe that it happens at conception. And therefore, that protection should count. And there are other people that believe it's when there's a heart heartbeat and when there's other things that happen. And so we've been fighting about this and arguing about this for decades. But the 15 weeks seems to be where most Americans are saying is a fair place to be, where if the mother's going to have major medical concerns and major medical issues that are going on, it's probably going to happen before that. They're, they're going to know about it before 15 weeks. Um, and, and so instead of us fighting in the way that we've been fighting, first of all, um, we're called to be kinder. We're called to to be helpful. And why wouldn't we then point to places and support places and volunteer and donate to places like Choices Pregnancy Center? Why wouldn't we help them be an option and make sure more women know that you don't have to go to Planned Parenthood where they charge you for a lot more things than they charge you for to Choices Pregnancy Center, that there is a place where you can go that will give you other alternatives, that will talk with you about other things you can do, and then actually be a resource for you if and when you decide to carry that baby to term, whether you're going to keep that child or put that child up for adoption. We should be pointing people in that direction, and then we should be supporting that organization or organizations like them so that they can do the great work they're doing. That seems to me to be a reasonable compromise instead of beating our heads against the wall in this constant fight. But we've got to do something about this law from 1864. In 1864 law, we've been arguing medical advancements um, since the 70s, and now we're going to default back to a territorial law. 
It is truly a hypocritical thing to do in my mind. We've been talking medical advancements, but we all wanted to fault back to a law that was written in 1864. We have to update that law somehow. Uh, Coming up in a moment. The French president, Macron, visits the White House. We're going to talk about why he's there. And, of course, they're going to talk climate change. It's all coming up here in just a couple of moments. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Just say it three times. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Um, Such a great movie. Um, Thanks for being here this morning. The French president is visiting the White House. And they are going to talk, among other things, about climate change. Um, And uh, Macron says that Biden's climate incentives are super aggressive to the French firms. The French leader comments previewed trade talks that are expected to come up during the bilateral meeting Thursday between the president and uh, and, um, the president of, of France. Um, we start talking about environmentalism, and this is what gets me – if you don't agree with the political movement that is um, the climate change movement, then all of a sudden you are a, a climate denier. I'm not a climate denier. I just don't think it's man-made, and I also don't think that the things that they want to do with industrialized countries is going to help. I don't think taxing America and sending money to another country somewhere that's a poor country in the name of climate change is going to do anything about the climate. I think what we've seen proof of that the president of the United States is as political as anybody else. He has told American oil companies that you can't drill here. We have stopped the Keystone Pipeline, so we're not going to take Canadian oil, but he just did a deal with the Venezuelans for Venezuela, which I didn't even know this was a thing, but apparently – The oil that comes from Venezuela pollutes more than the oil that comes from Canada. So we're not going to do business with our Canadian partners, even though the USMCA and everything else. But we're going to do business with the Venezuelans, an oppressive regime with dirtier oil, apparently. And what's interesting about this whole conversation and what takes me down this road are the people that are behind this with what people want to be taken seriously. They want to be taken seriously. They want their um, opinions to be heard. They want what they call the facts to be out there. They want people to abide by and follow the science. We hear that in all so many places now. There is a guy that is an extinction activist. Um, that name, uh, just that, that title makes me laugh. Um, a, a Dr. Phil episode that aired on Tuesday – was the uh, pro, w- w- focused on the voluntary human extinction movement and the founder Les Knight. I want you to th- hear about that again now. The voluntary human extinction movement. You're involved with an extinction movement would basically say we just need to live long and die out and we just need to feed, not breed. Is their, you know, Feed them, don't breed them is their, uh, is their motto. But they want to be taken seriously. He went on to illustrate his proposition. My plan is for everyone to think before they procreate. And if people really think about it, think all the way through and have the wherewithal not to procreate, which is a really big problem all over the planet. And if people think about it, as you mentioned, 44 percent of young people are saying, no, I don't think I want to do that. Um, He said they should just think about it. And if we all stop procreating, we'll go extinct slowly. We'll clean up our messes as we go. Um, And so this is, again, it goes back to the belief that humans are the problem, that we're not the solution. We are the problem. 
And I just I don't subscribe to it. I'm never going to subscribe to it. It's absurd. So we want a clean planet, but we're not going to be alive to enjoy it because our, we're going to go extinct. It, it, this is the mind. The, and these are people. These are the scientists that everybody wants us to listen to. And so I get into this conversation with people because I would consider myself, honestly, and I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I consider myself an environmentalist. Clean air, clean water, do what you can, where you can. You know, don't litter, don't pollute, uh, especially now with the water crisis. I manage water much better than I ever have before. I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to conserve. I do all of those things that I think reasonable people do. I've had the the great fortune of being able to travel all across Arizona, um, northern Arizona and the White Mountains, one of my favorite places on the planet. Southern Arizona is so beautiful, and I've traveled all over the state going to rodeos, and I've seen so many different things in parts of the state that we are just blessed beyond measure of the the resources we have here. If you're a hunter or you're an angler, what is afforded you, what is available to you, you you should be on your knees thanking God for every single day for the diversity of what we have available to us here in the state of Arizona, and we should want to keep it that way. And I will tell you that it is the hunters and it is the anglers that are the true environment it is the hunting permits that pay for the upkeep and, the, and for when you know they have people that go out and they manage the herds and they make sure that these are healthy herds of animals all across the state of Arizona so that that resource, that renewable resource is there for generations to come. That when there was a time when there was a big drop in the resource of herds of, of different species, that they have been rejuvenated, that they we have seen more and more of them now in healthy herds of animals that will be there for and if you think about this if you if you talk to people that are hunters or anglers it is a generational thing it is parents with their children and their grandchildren sometimes great grandchildren pictures on the walls in their homes are of generations together whether they harvest an animal or they don't but they are the ones that truly admire and want to save the pristine forests and the herds though and so they are seen as the problem and they are truly the solution The idea that humanity is the problem is the flawed way of thinking here. There's where the thinking flaw is. Just after 10 o'clock, the Federal Reserve Chair says nobody expected inflation to be this high. That's just not true. There were a lot of people that predicted it. They just weren't listening. We'll talk about it in a moment.